We are at session five. All right. Um, we are looking at the Day of Atonement. And uh, with God's help, um, I trust that we will look at the Day of Atonement from three points, principally, following the Day of Atonement chronologically. Um, the Day of Atonement is most fully described in Leviticus 16. And it's there, Lord willing, where I'd like to begin. Leviticus 16 gives us the most uh, full description of what the Day of Atonement involves. We will look, Lord willing, at what it involved for Israel during their time in the wilderness and in the land. And then after that, the Day of Atonement as it applies to us. And then following that, the Day of Atonement in its future time to come. Uh, speaking prophetically. Now let's take a look at Leviticus 16, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, that would be Nadab and Abihu, who either carelessly or wickedly offered fire before him that was not according to the instructions of the incense offering. Um, he says to them, he says to Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died, verse 2, and the, Mo and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, that would be the ark of the covenant, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. In other words, we know that in the tabernacle, the tent where God's very presence would dwell among his people, a wonderful thought that God would dwell among sinful men, there in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, God's presence was. And Aaron was not to come in just at any time before God's presence, but only in this manner. One day a year, and as the book of Hebrews tells us, not without blood. And so he says, thus Aaron, verse 3, shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, of a ram, as a, and a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body with water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell, and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord, to make atonement upon it, and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. 
Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put incense on the fire, that would be the fire in the censer that he's holding. He shall put incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, with his offering. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Verse 20, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take off the linen garments which he has put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall wash his body with water in the holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may go into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. He who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. That is enough. Um, the Day of Atonement. We see a couple of principles. Without going into all of the details, we see a couple of principles that stand out very vividly. The Day of Atonement was a day of full cleansing. We know that the blood of bulls and goats could not 
provide a final cleansing for sin. Atonement actually means covering. Okay? You could not put away sin once for all that spoke of what would come in a future atonement. And indeed, the many things we see here in so many ways, um, both with Aaron, both with what he wore, both with what was offered, both with what was used, in so many ways speaks of Christ. But the atonement was a very, in, in, as much as could be a complete atonement. The atonement of Aaron, the atonement of his household, the atonement of Israel, the atonement of the tabernacle of the altar within Israel. It was a full cleansing is the thought that's involved. Right? And so it spoke of a full cleansing to come. It was also a day of great sobriety. It was a day of affliction of soul. We find that at the end of this chapter, we did not get there. And we find that at least three times in Leviticus 23, in just a, the few verses that are allotted to the Day of Atonement, this solemn day, this Sabbath day, you shall afflict your souls. It's a day of, of great sobriety over the provision that God had provided, that he had made available by his mercy. We actually read in Proverbs that by mercy, by mercy and truth, atonement is made for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Again, by mercy and truth, atonement is made for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. God's glory was manifested in that he had supplied, in spite of all the sins of the previous year, he had supplied a means for a cleansing of those sins for the continuation of fellowship. And that was one nature of what the law was as given to Israel. The law was given as a means of withholding transgression, of making sin exceedingly sinful. For Israel, it was the matrix by which they could have fellowship with God. These sacrifices supplied the means by which God could dwell among them. These ordinances supplied the means by which God's presence could be there. And so the Day of Atonement was that necessary providing of the cleansing and covering of all of Israel's sins over the previous year. Perhaps, it, again, I should be very specific to say the covering. Again, the final cleansing would be done in the future Day of Atonement, that atonement that was provided by Jesus Christ on Golgotha. And let's take a look there in Romans 3. So lest I supply too little, again, this was a, a feast, a very serious and solemn feast day. Unlike some of the others, it was a day of, of mourning, a day of solemnity, and it was a day of affliction of soul, in which God was dealing with their sins of the previous year and providing the means for further fellowship. Now, in Romans 3, we find that our redemption is described by the Holy Spirit in the terms of the Day of Atonement, that Christ is the atonement sacrifice. If we take a look at Romans 3, verse 19 for context, and 
if you look right above verse 19, you find that from verse 10 all the way to verse 18, we have the law of God stated against all of mankind. Gentiles in Romans 1, Jews in Romans 2, the indictment of God's law as expressed in various parts of the Old Testament. Testament. Here it's mainly Psalms and Isaiah, all right? It's Psalms and Isaiah, is that at the end of it, there is no fear of God before their eyes. At the beginning of it, there is none who does good, not one. The Day of Atonement differs from the Passover in that the focus is not redemption, it is righteousness. Again, remember that in the Passover, it was the apprehending of what God had done for you and the applying of that blood to your doorpost. But here we see the blood not on your doorpost, but we see the blood over God's throne, the mercy seat. That is what the mercy seat was. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant, you had in full gold, you had in gold two cherubim holding up, as it were, God, his very throne. It was there, from there, his presence would dwell. And he says to Moses, from there I will give you my laws. And so when the blood is brought in by Aaron for himself, when the blood is brought in by Aaron for the nation, it is not the redemption that is the emphasis that we have been saved, but it is God's righteousness being satisfied. Because as king upon the throne, his glory must be upheld, his law and his justice must be vindicated. And so we find that language here. Take a look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, what does the law say? Well, take a look at verses 10 to 18. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be declared righteous in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, when it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, this isn't referring to our deeds. This is referring to what the law is doing. By the law's actions, by the deeds of the law, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We are all shown to be transgressors. Now, verse 21. But now, and I'm going to reverse it's the reverse, the language of the NKJV, it is the same thought, but now, not the righteousness of God, but for clarity, but now God's righteousness. But now God's righteousness, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being declared righteous freely by his grace through the price paid by another. Right? And here we have atonement language used. 
in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation. And the word propitiation is really, it's, it's literally mercy seat. The thought is, whom God set forth as a mercy seat sacrifice. It's that same imagery of the priest having come in and he has the blood of the victim on his fingers. And he sprinkles the blood of the victim at the base of God's throne. And he sprinkles it before God's throne. And what it says as he sets forth his blood, what it says is the price is paid. Someone died for that sin. And if the price is paid, then the law is satisfied. And God's righteousness is satisfied. So, he says, propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. To demonstrate God's righteousness. What is that righteousness? We find that in just a moment. It says, because in his forbearance, in his long-suffering love, in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. God, as in the atonement, as in the original day of atonement, in the wilderness, in the land, he had passed over the sins of that year, all their uncleanness, all of their transgressions, all of it. He had passed over in the knowledge that his righteousness would be satisfied at the first of the year. Not the first of the year, but the tenth day of the first month of the year. That's where we find the Day of the Atonement takes place. Ten speaks of man's responsibility. And so we find, find that on the first day, on the tenth day of the first month of the year, God on the seventh Seventh month, thank you. Tenth day of the seventh month of the year, God's righteousness would be satisfied. He would forbear sin until that point. Now, he says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be both just, he might be righteous, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, in the same manner, God had forbearance, as we heard partly yesterday, God has had forbearance through the ages, from Adam all the way to Christ, and has, has had forbearance on all the various saints of God who have sinned, because he knew that he would have a day, a day to come, where on the mount of the Lord it would be provided. A day to come where his righteousness would be satisfied and his justice would be enacted, and that would be upon Christ. This is very, very important. This is something that many believers do not understand. You hear people say, God forgave my sins. Okay? And the reality is God forgave me. God forgave you, but he did not forgive our sins. Every sin was judged, but we were not judged. And so at the end of this portion, we see that 
he, in verse 26, has shown himself to be both righteous, just, that is, he will judge sin, but he is also the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. He's found a way to separate our sin from you and I so that he can judge the sin and receive us completely. And for lack of time, we will not go into Hebrews 10, but Hebrews 10 is what demonstrates to us that he is, in fact, that atoning sacrifice. And not only that, but he is, in fact, that priest who offers the atoning sacrifice. He is both the perfect atonement sacrifice and the perfect priest. He did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself. And so here we, we, we find that our day of atonement, in fact, Israel and our day of atonement was on that very same day. On one day there on Golgotha, a full cleansing was made. Now, what do we find with reference to the prophecies. We've talked about Israel's Day of Atonement of old and the Day of Atonement for us. But what does this speak of prophetically? And if you'll follow me, let's go to Genesis chapter 40-something. <laughs> All right. Okay, Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45. As has been expressed before, but just for clarity's sake, um, these feasts were actual feasts to be celebrated by the Israelites back in ancient times. <coughs> but these feasts have a prophetic outline. In many ways, they function in the same way like what we saw last year, the seven churches, the seven assemblies. There's a prophetic outline. Uh, the prophetic outline here, of course, is much wider than what we saw last year. Last year, we looked at only the church dispensation, our present, the present age we are in. This one, of course, includes far greater than that. And we find a, another type of God's dealings with Israel in the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is really a type of Christ's dealings with his people, his earthly people Israel, past, present, and future. Today, Joseph is rejected. Today, Joseph is accepted by the Gentiles. There is a future day when his brethren will know him. And that is really what the Day of Atonement is. The Day of Atonement is the day of Israel's repentance. That's what it is in the future day. It is when they will know him for who he is, and they will repent. Uh, this is often... Um, in the prophets written in very close conjunction with the Day of tr Trumpets, uh, you find that, that these events are found side by side in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other prophets. And uh, how it will all come together, it's difficult to say, but we know that God is going to bring his people together. He is going to come, Christ will come as their deliverer, and when he delivers them, they will see him. And they will know that their Messiah that they've been awaiting is the one that they rejected. The one that they said, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. Here comes the father's favorite. The one that they could not stand. 
And we have a picture of it here in Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For there are two years, for these two years, the famine have been, the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not wait. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, the very best of the part of Egypt, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flock and your herds, all that you have. And so there's a revealing to his brethren, and it's a revealing that results in repentance. In fact, the revealing is a result of repentance. It's a repentance that God had been working on his on his, on Joseph's brethren for some time. Joseph, moved by the Holy Spirit, did some things that we probably would never do in reconciling with family. And it's a really it's a picture of the time of Jacob's trouble. Judah is 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 in anguish. The brethren are in anguish, and. Jacob himself is, is grieving, and there doesn't seem to be any hope. There doesn't seem to be any help. It's a picture of the tribulation, and this comes about, the revealing of Christ comes about when Judah and his brethren have a heart prepared by God. Judah was the one who sold Joseph into Egypt, the one who said, hey, why should we kill him? Let's make a buck. And he was the one, really, that we find very much apart from God. The story of Joseph is just as much the story of Judah and Jacob as it is the story of Joseph. We find that story of Judah and, and his, his really chaotic family, sin-torn family, there right in the midst of the story of Joseph. And it's not without reason. And so when the time was right, Judah offers himself up. Instead of selling his brother for a buck, he offers himself up as a slave, lest his brother Benjamin should be taken away. It's a complete opposite, a complete repentance. And so there is a working that God, take, God uses through the tribulation both to bring vengeance according to the law, but also to bring a change. 
uh, a, a threshing of his people to be able to bring out that which is real from those who are simply Israelites by the flesh. And that remnant, we read in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved. Doesn't mean all that are claiming to be Israel. It doesn't mean all that are claiming to be children of Abraham, because Abraham had many children, but only Isaac was the child of promise. But that elect, his chosen, they will be saved. And so we this parallels very much with what we find in the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Romans 9, Israel past. Romans 10, Israel present. Romans 11, Israel future. And there we find that God is not done with his people. But in fact, he's, he will take them up and they will see, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 12. And this may be the clearest Old Testament expression of this event. There are a number of them. You could go to Jeremiah chapter 3, toward the end of chapter 3. Um, there are, are a number of places. Jeremiah chapter 31, um, within the major and minor prophets, where we find God regathering Israel, Feast of Trumpets, and delivering Israel. Remember that the trumpet was the sound of alarm and the sound of warfare. And in, we read in Numbers 10, verse 9, that you, when you call with the trumpet, you shall be remembered by your, by your God, and he will give you victory over your enemies. And so, again, at, at the end of the tribulation, when Christ delivers them, very much in conjunction with the Feast of Trumpets, they will look upon their deliverer. Zechariah 12. All right. Let's look at verse 1. The burden of the Lord hosts against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the, I will open my eyes on the house of Judah. I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength and the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the wood pile. And like a fiery torch in the sheaves, they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. <clears throat> now, moving down for sake of time. Verse 10, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierce. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and grieve for him 
as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadad Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David, the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. You shall be afflicted in your soul. They will recognize that they departed from their God, and that he who came to them was the one that they rejected. And when that happens, if we go to Leviticus 25, when that happens, when repentance takes place, God will be free to give full blessing. God delights to bless his people. It is what he delights to do. And he seeks to bless as much as he can. He goes to the very furthest that he can. And then when he finds an obstacle that would withhold his blessing, sin, he creates the circumstances to remove that obstacle so that he can extend the blessing to the full. And that's the way he works with us. His deep desire is to give us the very fullest joy. And thus his chastening, and thus the conditions and the difficulties that we go through. It's for the intent of bringing the very fullest blessing to us. And not just in heaven, right now. He desires that we would repent. He desires that we would be completely broken and contrite before him, so that he might bestow on us a blessing. And, you know, if I might just say, brethren, that is how we should be toward our fellow believers. That is how we should be toward all men. As much as we can, we seek to have as much fellowship as we can with our fellow believers. As far as we can, until that's stopped by moral evil, by doctrinal evil. We seek to have as much fellowship as we can. And we seek to bless others as much as we can. When Israel repents, God will be free to pour out all those blessings and to confirm once and for all the promises that he made. And so it's not without significance that in Leviticus 25 we read that the Jubilee begins on the Day of Atonement. The Jubilee was a year of release. It was a year of liberty. It was a year of celebration. And it, was, it occurred on the 50th year. You would count 49 years the very next year, the 50th year. On the day of Jubilee, the trumpet would be blown. On, excuse me, on the day of atonement, the trumpet would be blown. And if you had sold a piece of land, you'd be able to go back and take that land that belonged to your father. Imagine that. You had fallen into debt. And that which had been your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents had been lost. And it belonged to someone who wasn't even an Israelite. Or it belonged to another Israelite. And here you had the opportunity to have that back again. Or perhaps you had fallen into debt. And you 
had yourself become a slave. On the day of Jubilee, you were released. You were set free. And your debt was released. There was no more debt to pay. And so it was a day of liberty. And it was a day of return. And it was a day of joy. We have various blessings that are given to Israel that will be fulfilled. But they cannot be fulfilled until Israel has repented. Israel had the opportunity to receive him, but when they rejected him, he said, herein you will not see me. You will not see me until you say, right? Until you say, could you help me, Eugene? Yeah, blessed to see that it comes in the name. Yeah. They rejected him as, as their king. When he returns and they receive him, there will be the full opportunity and the full promises made. And if you, if we might just go here, we'll end here in Romans 3. There are various ones who teach that the assembly is Israel 2.0 and that Israel is done once for all. Um, I suspect um, that a lot of this comes from uh, a real adhering to a tradition. Uh, there are God, there were godly men, godly men who God used to bring out wonderful truths about redemption, about justification, about <laughs> sanctification, salvation truths. And these truths are very precious, and we should be thankful for the Reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, men of this nature. And yet the fact that they were right on one area does not mean that they were correct in all. And the understanding that has been brought through other later men on prophecy has further added to our understanding of the Scriptures. It's not logical to think that a thousand years of darkness under medieval, medieval Catholicism would immediately be corrected in a hundred years. But sadly, sometimes when you hear the arguments of those who, who teach that Israel is the church, it seems that um, the motive really behind it is that they're adhering to the, they're adhering to the um, tradition and the, the uh, really the, how, how can I say this gently? They're adhering to a man. And so we need to be careful. We find that very, very, very clear in the scriptures that the promises of Israel are irrevocable. Indeed, we find that, again, I think that's Romans 11, the, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And that is spoken with reference to Israel. One cannot declare the promises of Abraham, David, Zadok, um, Phineas, these various ones whom God gave everlasting covenants to, these cannot be set aside without doing great, great, great disservice to God's word and blasphemy to God, because there we call God one who does not keep their promises, his promises. If we look at Romans 3, Paul makes this very clear. Romans 3, verse 1, following Romans 2. Romans 2, he very clearly shows that the, the Jew is not a special people in the eyes of God for their own right. 
but because God made them special, as Aaron brought out. And so if the Jew is not special in his own right, the question to ask is verse 1, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Now what is Paul asking here? Well, let's take a good look at that. For what if some did not believe? He's speaking of Israel. Israel did not believe. They rejected the Lord. From the priest down to the very lowest pauper, to the widow, God even says in Amos, every single one of them are corrupt. They had completely rejected God and shown themselves unfaithful. And as a result, they were dispersed. Will their unbelief, in verse 3, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be declared righteous in your words, and may overcome when you are judged. God is declared righteous when he sticks to his promise, even when we don't. When he upholds his promises and is gracious, he demonstrates himself to be even more morally righteous and even more worthy of praise than if he was to vindicate himself upon those who have broken his promises. He's lifted himself up and given himself even greater glory by remaining faithful. And so we find here that no, in no way will he be unfaithful to the promises that he's made to Israel. In fact, if I might just say to you, if your unfaithfulness can cause God to be unfaithful, who's in charge? It's you, right? But God is not moved by human disobedience. It doesn't change his action. He is the solid rock, the one who does not move. He causes us to move. And so we find that in the millennium, he will confirm the promises. And if I might just venture out on a limb here, because this is something that personally I've been wondering and considering, it seems to me that it would be at this time that those saints of old would be raised, not the assembly. But can the promises of God to Abraham, can the promises of God to David, can the promises of God to these various men, can they be fulfilled unless they are raised? And so I would just, I would just mention that, and I hope I just leave it for clarity's sake. Perhaps someone can clarify for me. Perhaps it's at a later point. But it would appear that in order for the promises of Israel to be confirmed, when God says to Abraham, walk through the land, for I give it to you, these various ones, as we read in Hebrews 11, all of them, gave, all of them walked with a good testimony but did not receive the promise. And so they will receive the promise when they are raised in the last day.